thought capital. The world changed dramatically. Sustainable business practices. Phenomenally important with young people. Riding the Chinese tiger. Leadership goes beyond making a profit. Let's be forward thinking. We do need to accommodate difference. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. If we're ever to have equality. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. What's ahead for entrepreneurs? What trends will shape their businesses? How competitive is Australia when it comes to startups and entrepreneurship? And is entrepreneurship something you can actually learn? There are emerging markets that are going to be demanding of some of our high quality products that could be done you know, at a boutique level, at a high margin. Entrepreneurship is the future, but we need action, not talk. Professor David Gilbert is Director of Entrepreneurship at Monash and has a long career in international business working throughout Asia. He has founded and invested in 12 different companies and his research covers entrepreneurial capability, innovation and commercialisation, as well as technology, digital transformation and incubation. Welcome to Thought Capital. Professor, what is this entrepreneurship thing? Entrepreneurship really is, is around the starting of new businesses However, it's also around a mindset, and uh, really I concentrate more in the university on the mindset piece, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that not every student's going to be a, a startup founder, but likewise, everybody's quite interested in it, so the appetite for entrepreneurship is, is quite phenomenal. So is, is everyone starting a business an entrepreneur? No, I don't think so. Um, if you look at a small business that's you know just starting uh, you know, down on the uh, the strip uh, shopping centre and is doing the same as everybody else, I think you'd be pushing the limits to say that that's an entrepreneurial business. Well, How, what makes an entrepreneur then? Yeah, look, I think that they have to create some sort of new value. So whether that be new processes, uh, systems, product services, bringing something new to the market that somebody else hasn't done is is where we see a lot of um, you know the entrepreneurial activity. So it's not enough to be a startup; you've got to be uh, an innovative startup. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? My personal perspective is yes. If you look at a lot of the stats and stats bore people, but they go and they count businesses that have been started. Are they truly entrepreneurial? Probably not the mecca of startups being Silicon Valley, what they're doing is really high growth entrepreneurship, which creates disruption in business systems, um, product service uh, offerings, market fit, and even development of new markets. That's where I'd love to see our focus in Australia around entrepreneurship instead of just anybody who starts a business is an entrepreneur. Would you say Australia is an entrepreneurial country? Or do we still hark back too much to the hills hoist and the stump jump plough? Oh, we've come a little way since then if we, uh, if we throw Wi-Fi in there. I think we are entrepreneurial, but again, I'll separate that into businesses and mindsets. I think we do have an entrepreneurial mindset, but I'm not too sure that we're highly entrepreneurial in the majority of the businesses that we create. Can we change that? Most definitely. Most How? definitely. You know, I think that comes into your introduction. Can we actually teach it? Well, my my uh, strong opinion is if we understand what we're teaching and how we're teaching it, yes, we can. There is a number of pieces that have to come into this puzzle. I don't think uh, that our, our governments of any persuasion actually understand what is required to create an entrepreneurial facilitated environment. 
do entrepreneurs have a bad name? That's a great, great point, uh, because I think when I left Australia, uh, we were just at the end of that sort of scase and bond period of the cowboys, and that really gave entrepreneurship a horrid name. And I think we're still recovering from that. So that those largesses, the, the, the rip-offs, um, were very detrimental to our current cause. So yes, I think that Australia is, is a little fearful of, of that, so hence that mindset and business separation. We're explorers, we're experimenters, we have a fantastic education system, fantastic research that we fail to translate into anything, um, yet we, we just don't produce the goods, and that really concerns me. You say it can be taught. I can't think of a single entrepreneur who was taught entrepreneurship. Um, I don't think Bill Gates or any of those guys had it available to them, even if they'd stuck with their degree. Oh, I'd probably challenge her on that one. Uh, many of the top 500 have come out of the business school at Stanford. Their translation of research has been phenomenal. They're in that ecosystem that is, uh, is pretty darn dynamic. Can entrepreneurship be taught? I think what really can't be taught is drive and the ability to energize others. Farley Blackman is the CEO of York Butter Factory Ventures, a co-working space which offers support for startups, scale-ups and corporates within the tech industry. I think individuals that have that are going to have a better chance of success. And I, I just have not seen that successfully taught. And I think it's a big part of being an entrepreneur. A well-rounded entrepreneur is better than a single-focused entrepreneur. So someone who's extremely technical has to either surround him or herself with individuals that provide the other skills. But even if they do that, having a basic understanding of commercials, a basic understanding of finance, a basic understanding of marketing is important. And I think those things can be taught. David Gilbert, startups are hard and most fail. Is it hard to teach that to students and still keep them interested and passionate? Absolutely. And this is one of my gravest concerns. And the, one of the first things that I will, I will say to students is that, you know, you're going to be darn lucky if your first business is successful. Let's just put that straight on the table. And it's going to take a heck of a lot of hard work. And you're going to have to learn to not think that you're going to be doing everything by yourself. And this is, I think, one of the gravest errors that we make is the entrepreneur thinks they've got to do everything. And what they end up doing is everything really mediocre. They've got to be able to reach out. Uh, they've got to be able to uh, connect and make um, collaborations with, with communities, with individuals, and to be a little bit cheeky at times. And that's where students have an advantage. You've cited the American example as obviously the, the hotbed of Silicon Valley. Much is made of American startups and their access to venture capital. How big a role does that play? I don't think venture capital is as big as an issue as everybody makes it out to be. If you've got a great team around a validated idea, you will get capital. I'll always look at the team first before the idea, because the idea is something that can change. The team is the one that's going to execute on that idea. What do you look for in the team? Certainly diversity of capability. I look for people that can listen. They're willing to learn what I call humble excellence, um, people that are willing to go on that journey of learning but are able to take feedback and not take it critically. Farley Blackman, you've seen many entrepreneurial success stories. What makes a great entrepreneur? 
What makes a great entrepreneur? Ideas are cheap. It's the execution. It's the commitment. It's the ongoing rigor and discipline that makes all the difference, and that comes from the people. There needs to be confidence, but not ego. There needs to be courage, but not blind courage. Uh, there needs to be some awareness of others and what's around, but at the same time, the ability to dismiss the naysayers and push forward. So it's finding someone that uh, is quite self-reflective and knows his or her strengths, but also his or her weaknesses, and is able to not only take the idea forward, but build a team to fill in the gaps. To be honest, those people are rare. Well, 10 years ago, Australia's Amy Marks founded feminine hygiene company, The Tomco. She's turned it into a very successful business, but it took a lot of hard work and perseverance to get it off the ground. It has been a relentless journey early on, like, you know, waking up, I remember every day for a good two-year period and just hitting refresh on my emails first thing in the morning, almost with my eyes half closed. You know, there were probably three or four things that could have happened on any odd day that would have really shut the business down, to be frank, you know, and I think we were just on the edge for so long. I think a lot of entrepreneurship and business and startup is about a mindset of possibility and relentless hard work and passion and, and all of those ingredients were there in their purest form. So there was a piece around timing too. The market was starting to open up to organics and wellness and there was this sort of looming piece around women's empowerment. Having a couple of people along the way believe in me, which was which was really pivotal. So a family friend said, you know what, I'm gonna put 10 grand into this for you to go and start this business. For me, I just, you know, the most incredibly resourceful return on that I could imagine. When I did the packaging and, you know, pulled together the brand and was presenting that to, to grocery stores and, and that was my, you know, entire sales package. Professor David Gilbert, could government be doing more to assist entrepreneurs or if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to do it. The, look, there's quite a lot of people that, uh, and particularly my American friends, who believe that government should get the heck out of business. I, I don't really subscribe to that. I think that there, there needs to be institutional factors that are supportive of entrepreneurship. I and mean, if we see in Australia, we're bound up in red tape. Uh, we have quite an inflexible labour market. I saw some uh, report from one uh, think tank that said we had $176 billion of red tape last year. Now, if we're looking at and we're last in the OECD world in terms of facilitating businesses, that staggers me. We really need to get better at that. And I think governments need to, quite honestly, they need to get more young people involved. I think we need a change up in thinking. And I cannot see why we are not engaging with the diversity that Australia has to offer, which is unrivaled in the world, I think. Marley Blackman again. Innovation and entrepreneurship in Australia there's a big enough economy here that you can actually be an entrepreneur and never leave. There's enough customers, there's enough diversity, there's enough things to do to grow a business to quite a substantial size. There's always a plus and minus to these things. I think the downside of being a big enough economy is that sometimes you don't look, and Australians don't look beyond the borders of Australia. There's massive opportunities, obviously, in Southeast Asia. Um, by comparison, New Zealand is such a small country that the entrepreneurs in New Zealand, from the minute they think about starting a company, are thinking, okay, 
what do I need to do to go beyond our national borders? So am I going to the U.S.? Am I going to Southeast Asia first? That kind of a growth mindset leads to, you know, different opportunities. And I would say um, Australia could probably learn from some of that. Professor David Gilbert, specifically, if we make you dictator for a week, what would you do? <laughs> um, look, I think we need to become competitive on tax. If we're looking at a, a company tax rate of 30% compared to you know, 20 in others, other areas, why would you come and invest in Australia? Uh, so straight away, I think we need to have some, some tax relief for startups specifically. I also think we need to look at the, the flexibility around the labour market. People in startup cannot afford to take on full-time employees. You know, we're, we're giving the same uh, offsets or same advantages to massive big companies as we are to startups, and that doesn't make sense. I've got a great idea. What are the three things I need to do with it to be a successful entrepreneur? One, I'd socialise that idea. I then start to think about, okay, well, what are the capabilities that I need to actually look at this? And then I'd be talking to those people who are either my end users or customers in that, uh, that value chain and starting to test that concept with them. And if you're not getting good feedback from them, it's not the right idea. It might be the right problem, but it's not the right concept. But even then, you're, you're brokering relationships already. So therefore, I'd be adjusting, retesting, revalidating, and going with that. Amy Marks again. I think people have this philosophy that there's this complex recipe to starting a business but it's actually really simple sometimes just about doing it getting your foot in the door having a notebook writing down your list of things to do forget the complex business plans listen to your gut surround yourself with good people that you can check in like with a mentor on a weekly basis that's critical in this startup phase you know, get into the stores and start talking to the customers. And so that's exactly what I did. So mum and I would drive around with our posters in the cars and we were putting them in the windows of the health food stores and listening to the, you know, the women behind the counters and the men behind the counters telling us what they felt about the product and we were taking on feedback and being super agile and changing packaging and got to the point where it was, you know, in 60 stores and it's just the commercials weren't stacking up, but people wanted more. So it had to be in grocery to really create that impact and shift. Two years back and forth to get buyer meetings across the line and, and, and sell the dream. And then finally got to a point where I received an order for 700 stores of, of tampons and pads. We hadn't yet sold the pads on the market, so I had to source supply and, you know, again, relentlessly get to a point where there was no compromise on product. Yeah, we had no marketing budget at that time, but just continued to build on that purpose and the conversation. And we were just in real relationships with real people. And it was at the time that Facebook was starting. So I felt like we really rode, rode that wave quite well. Entrepreneurs need to be on top of their game to maximise business opportunities. We're going to look at some entrepreneurial trends and analyse how important they're going to be in shaping the future of business. One trend we're seeing a lot of right now is women starting their own businesses. We'll start by hearing from Amy Marks. I'm really passionate about female entrepreneurship. I think our ability to keep multiple balls in the air at any given time while still having this emotional connectedness to building the thing that really matters, which is the business, because we just have that maternal instinct that I think wants to nurture and build at the same time. 
we're probably forced into a position where if we want to create a career that has longevity and is sustainable um, and, and meets flexibility from a family needs perspective, it's either find a flexible job, you know, when there's not a lot of them around. This evolution of female entrepreneurship is building. Women are backing themselves and we're backing each other. And, and I think it's just the perfect time for women to be going out and starting businesses. It's about the solidarity of the the village, the sisterhood working together, not just starting businesses as silos, it's actually female businesses helping one another and creating that movement and wave. Professor David Gilbert, you've mentioned diversity a number of times, more and more women are running their own businesses according to the census data. Who else is starting businesses in Australia today? I'm seeing uh, that as a very, very strong trend in terms of young people starting businesses uh, of all backgrounds. Um, In Australia, I think there's also um, other trends around refugees starting businesses, and we've just done a big research piece over in the Solomon Islands around um, poverty alleviation through entrepreneurship. And that is is a tool that can look to get people out of their out of poor social um, surroundings, uh, but likewise to also bring that diversity from their own countries where things are done differently, things are perceived differently. Um, so I think that that's going to be a trend that continues in the future. And likewise, we've got an aging population, so we've got people who are moving out of the workforce that have great capabilities and skills that don't think that they're at, they're at the end of their use-by date. Um, so we're seeing that sort of you know, grey entrepreneurship, as they term it, uh, starting to ramp up as well. The projections are that, that women are going to be starting more business and more highly educated women. So they're seeing it as a, a, a different career path. The sharing economy trend, does that mean anyone can be an entrepreneur if they can work an app? If you've got a car or a house, you can become a sort of an entrepreneur through Uber and Airbnb. Uh, Young kids are selling their clothes through apps. Are they entrepreneurs? Uh, Yeah, look, I think they are. I think they are. Um, Whether they're going to be successful entrepreneurs or not, I'm not too sure. If these early startups, whether they're app-based or or whatever, or or shared economy-based, are a stepping stone to something else, then that's fantastic. Uh, I don't think that there's enough place in the marketplace for everybody to be selling stuff through apps um, and being successful at it. You'd be surprised how many businesses I've seen. I've got an app. Gee, it's going to make me a million or trillion dollars. Well, yeah, everybody's got one and and, uh, yeah, they're not going that well, to be honest. Turning it around another way, does the sharing economy make it easier perhaps for entrepreneurs that they have access rather than ownership? Yeah, totally. Um, When I came back to Australia, it was right on the the verge of uh, digital business. And it was uh, it was an eye opener for me. It was phenomenal to see different business models, um, different ways of doing business. You know, the holy grail of business making money while you're asleep um, suddenly became a reality. Far more opportunity now than there was when I certainly started business. Other trends, the sustainable trend. How yeah. important are sustainable and ethical businesses to start up? Phenomenally important with young people. Um, this is one of the things that I've loved about coming into university, the sense of, uh, 
of social development and social capital around new ventures is inspiring. So when they're developing a, a new product or services, a large percentage of, of young people have that firmly in mind. What is going to be the impact upon the environment, upon society, upon you know um, expanding populations, etc.? So I find that very inspiring, and I think that's going to be a, continue to be a major, major trend. Polly Blackman again. I'm really excited about companies and individuals that are open to look beyond the status quo. You know, where we are in space right now is extremely exciting. Where we are in transportation, um, especially as we move to a shared economy um, and the potentials that can bring to reduced emissions, a fix to the environment, um, those sorts of things are incredible. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs working on that. But in order to make those things really stick, it's going to make, it's going to, people have to be open, right? Um, in order to reduce plastics, to reduce emissions, um, to really innovate, to think about what's going to break your business as a big company and what the options are as a small company takes courage, it takes drive, um, it takes an ability to look at things differently and listen differently. Perhaps a subset of the sustainable trend is the local trend. Eat local, eat food in season, support your local farmer. Is that a lasting movement or a minority fad? I think with global supply chains, I'm not too sure it's going to be lasting. However, it will be boutique, but that's not to say that it's it's not going to continue as a trend. The whole food providence issue is, is one that I find very fascinating and I've had a business in that area. Um, and I've had students who have, for example, gone to New York, New York and started businesses around grow walls. And but the thing is, they've not seen it as a food production business. It's about activating a community. So if we've got food within that community, it's about the community and not the actual product or service that they're developing. That notion around strategic entrepreneurship, I think, is very, very interesting. The total opposite, the global trend, the internet allows a local entrepreneur to deliver globally. Mm. Have we even begun to fully exploit that? No, no, and Australia's behind the curveball on that one too. And this surprises me because we are so geographically isolated, but perhaps that's you know part of that supply chain issue is that it's more costly for us to ship. So have we realised it? No, I don't think so, but I still think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of our, our startups go offshore. Social media trends. Many entrepreneurs are still using traditional methods to forge ahead in industry and technology. Some of the most successful entrepreneurs are influencers on social media with millions of followers. Where's that going? Oh, it's here to stay, I think. <laughs> so if, you, if you're not on that, uh, on that bus, you better get on it really quickly. The different channels to market give you different opportunities. So I'm not saying neglect the old traditional channels, but you've got to have a digital presence. And the beauty of digital, it doesn't take too many resources to be effective. Building your brand, build, building your profile, getting that out through digital channels is is an amazing tool for businesses and they should really, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can learn digital. I, I learn it so anybody can. Has technology hijacked the idea of entrepreneurship and startups? Great question. Um, often it does because we see the shiny, well it's the tech. It's the tech that's amazing without understanding the problem that it's actually delivering a solution to. And it really is a delivery tool. 
when we do investigate the problem quite carefully and and understand it from an end user or a customer's perspective, the low-tech approach can be actually far more suitable than going and spending tens of thousands of dollars on your app and finding that doesn't meet the needs of the customer. So the technology has hijacked, uh, I think, a fair bit of successful entrepreneurship because we're focused on the tech and not on the impact and outcome. David Gilbert, thanks for talking to us. In this episode, we also heard from Farley Blackman, CEO of YBF Ventures, and Amy Marks, founder of the Tomco. Thank you both. You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find more episodes on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was produced by Tina Zanu, editor is Nadia Hume, sound production by Gareth Popplestone. Executive producer is Helen Westerman. Thought Capital is recorded at Monash School of Media, Film and Journalism.